What's your problem? What's your solution? In which world do we want to live beyond the COVID-19 virus crisis? That is the question of this special series of Camp Solutions. Charles Eisenstein has written several books in which he explores what he calls the destructive story of separation in modern culture. In the early days of the pandemic, he wrote an essay asking whether we should try to get back to normal as soon as possible, or if the virus presents humanity with an extraordinary opportunity for transformation. Welcome to Camp Solutions. Charles, in the early days of the COVID-19 crisis, you wrote a long essay. What was your message? What is your message? It was a long essay and had many messages. Uh, it started, I felt like deeply disturbed by the social and political response to the COVID-19 pandemic. I saw that, um, that everything that we were doing as a society was a it was an extension of trends that had been a long time in the making nothing that we are seeing is new uh, not not the social distancing people have become less and less uh physically social over my lifetime as life has migrated indoors yeah. and online uh online education you know that's not a new trend either um uh, the government surveillance and tracking of everybody's whereabouts and everybody's actions. That's not new. No. Uh, the control of information and censorship. That's not new. Uh, phobia of germs and, and general fear of the outdoors and fear, you know, like none of this is new. Like what it seemed to me, this is an overreaction. And yeah, I understood about flattening the curve. Mm -hmm. I, I, I couldn't argue against that. The hospitals are being overwhelmed. But when that became no longer true, uh, and it's questionable how true it ever was outside of a certain few places, but the lockdowns and quarantines and distancing continued, I'm like, but hold on, wasn't the whole reason to flatten the curve? Mm -hmm. And then we began to be told something else. I, I started to question why, besides you know, various conspiracy theories, mm -hmm. what else could explain this This shift to totalitarian control. Mm -hmm. And one of the answers that I came to is that actually our society is quite comfortable with this kind of crisis mm -hmm. because we know what to do about it. There, there's a bad guy that we can attack, a virus. Mm -hmm. Whereas much bigger crises, much bigger, even pandemics that are ongoing, don't elicit anything like this kind of response, such as the autoimmunity epidemic that is causing more suffering and afflicting more people by far than coronavirus ever yeah. has or will yes but we just almost consider that normal uh -huh. i could go you know name many other like depression something yeah. like one in six adults in the u.s are clinically depressed yeah it boggles the mind you know but we don't know what to do about that but now a virus comes in and our customary solution templates of find something to control, to keep out or to kill, that is available to us. It validates those in power. Uh, it makes their powers useful. Mm -hmm. 
uh, it's kind of reassuring in a way because our society has been, been decaying for a long time and it, it is troubling to us. We sure want there to be something to do about it. And there is suddenly that, you know, indeed, the thing, the, the, the enemy we can attack. So, right. so you also write in, in your essay that you kind of always felt that there was this crisis around the corner that would change the world we are living in. So can you talk about that feeling and, and what kind of a crisis is that? How would you describe that? Yeah, it's the feeling of the end of the world as we know it, a world that many of us feel trapped in and a world that is not moving in the right direction. If you look at the ecological situation or the social situation or the political situation, but we feel stuck in it. So there's always been part of me that, that's like, this cannot go on forever. Mm -hmm. Something will have to break. And then all of a sudden it breaks. Uh, wow, we're no longer captive of this inevitability. Yeah. That doesn't mean that we are automatically delivered from this inevitability. Uh, in fact, the default path will be to continue on the path that we've been on. But at least we have this pause now where we can say, is this really the path that we want to continue down? Mm -hmm. Or do we want to, because look at the huge changes. We, could, we can do anything. And the interesting thing is, of course, that you know, when there is that common enemy, common goal, then it seems to suddenly be very easy to make big changes, right? A virus aligns our mentality, our, our, you know, our common, brings out our common goals. But how easy will that be when it really comes to rethinking the world we're living in? Yes. One of the ways that our society has decayed is that we are not coherent anymore in a common goal. The last, when I was a child, we, we were, it took the form of the, uh, the conquest of space. Even my shampoo bottle had a rocket ship <laughs> cap on it. Like we were totally into rockets, you know, yes. and this, this, um, ambition to, to go to the moon, you know, to, to go into space was part of a bigger, less conscious mythology that said human beings are, the humanity is destined to conquer nature and to bring about through science and technology utopia. And we had these visions of the future when I was growing up of yeah. a paradise of robot service, servants, you know, and food and a pill and the cure of every disease and infinite lifespans and all kinds of stuff like that, flying cars, you know, you, you remember it too. Yes. It was gleaming, aseptic. There wasn't anything alive in this future. No. <laughs> so, so we had this um, unifying myth yeah. called progress. The malaise of our society, the paralysis of our society that has grown in the last 30 or 40 years is a result of the failure of this myth. We no longer have a unifying myth. So we no longer have anything to coordinate our efforts and to sacrifice to. And this is actually good. <laughs> it's, it's part of a transition process. What we need is a new mythology. I was just thinking about what you were saying. You're describing this world that I actually, like you, do remember. You know, these clean things and everybody would be absolutely, you know, uh, 
uh, yeah, how do you say that? Sterile almost, right? Yes. And, and isn't that the world we have created? I mean, is that vision, hasn't that vision become reality in a way? Yes, we are seeing a version of that. Yeah. Where, where, yeah, th this part of the utopia was that you convert the whole world into a data set. And through computers, you rationally and efficiently administer that data set. Yes. That, that, that was the like last add on to that vision. And so, yeah, we have the Internet of Things, uh, which is what 5G is really all about. You know, it's about about collecting data. And yeah. and if you are bought into that mythology, this is, of course, a good thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't need a bunch of evil world controlling puppet masters to pursue a program of uh, intensifying control when the mythology already leads to it. So yeah, we are seeing like an extreme version of it. In a way that that's a blessing because it puts starkly in front of us what we have actually been choosing. It's like, is that the world that we want really? Um, well, here it is. And if we, maybe we don't want it when we see what we're actually, what we've actually been choosing and we can choose something else. I know you got a huge response uh, to to the essay you wrote, which was a beautiful essay, and it did inspire, does inspire, a lot of people. At the same time, when we read the news and you know, and we follow what's going on, the conversation is about ongoing versions of control. That is, we need a drug, we need a vaccine, uh, we need to get rid of this thing. To what extent do you think is there? Are we ready to actually? do what you propose to rethink where we are and maybe maybe make some different decisions maybe we're not ready i i don't have any guarantees for you but i do see yeah I, it seems like in the last couple of weeks the tide has begun to shift mm -hmm. people who were unquestioning a couple of weeks ago are now starting to doubt what they're being told by the authorities uh, or maybe i'm imagining it just because of the particular echo chambers that I frequent. But it does seem that that there's a growing skepticism and at the same time, a, uh, a hardening polarization, relaxing lockdown, questioning uh, official narratives and so forth is being associated with, oddly enough, with right-wing politics, which is really confusing to me. Mm. I, I have been a lifelong leftist. And I'm like, hold on, I thought it was the left that is defined by questioning authority and resisting the agendas of pharmaceutical companies and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and government and corporations and is suspicious of surveillance and uh, the centralized control of information and censorship. I'm like, hold on, like who's left and who's right here? Yeah. It's getting all mixed up. This whole thing about control is obviously because we want to achieve something. We want to, through the control, we, wanna, we basically want to get rid of fear. The thing is, uh, I don't think it leads to less fear. What do you think? The root of our fear is our separation from the rest of life, from community, uh, from all of these lost parts of ourselves. We're not being fully human right now. We're not in intimate, close relationship with, with the places around us with the plants and the animals and the the just the land the soil we don't have that therefore we're we're locked into these narrow separate selves and that leaves us afraid it leaves us 
existentially insecure and especially afraid of death. Mm-hmm. Because if our experience of self is so narrow and so dependent on distant anonymous institutions and strangers, then, then yeah, we're insecure. And the death of that separate self is the death of all things. Mm-hmm. But if you're embedded and you experience yourself as including and being included by a web of relationships, then death takes on a different meaning. Health is not a matter of protecting the separate self from any invasion. Health is a matter of having robust relationships, including the, the uh, internal ecology, the body ecology, the yes. bacterium, the virome. Like viruses, uh, which are on a continuum with all kinds of other particles that contain DNA and RNA, they're necessary for life. Yes. That's how that's how life communicates with life and shares genetic information. To to cut off all of that communication, yeah, it's the end yeah. of life. Yeah. So you talk in your essay about terrain theory. Can you explain what you what that is? There was a meme online that explained it quite well. It said, "Germ theory: your fish is sick. Vaccinate the fish. Terrain theory: your fish is sick. Clean the tank." Yes. So it's, it says that, that infection is a symptom of diseased tissue. And it, it could either be like an opportunistic uh, uh, a bacteria or a virus that's taking advantage of the diseased tissue, or it could even be the body inviting in this condition in order to clear up the diseased tissue or to meet an environmental challenge. There's just such a richer way to look at viruses than these pathogens. And that's not to say that they are not dangerous. Like sometimes this new information comes to you and it kills you. Too much information, your body can't handle that. Yeah. Like that is obviously happening. And, and I'm really wary of any totalizing discourse that where someone says, here's what's happening and tries to explain everything. Because every single one of those that I've seen leaves some data points out. You're not alone there. The more and more people in the past uh, decades started to meditate, going to yoga studios, were embracing this more holistic lifestyle, were embracing certain spiritual values that are universal. So you would say, you would think that in a situation like this, that would, you know, would help us. At the same time, it seems that when the yoga studios had to close because of the lockdown, most people forgot what they were learning there. People when when they're scared they run back to what's familiar and they look to authority to to protect them especially if they are immature people our civilization has delivered us a lot of immature people and and infantilized us in a lot of ways yeah daddy is just not there or mommy for that matter but it happens to be a daddy right who was in the white house and that person is not it's just totally failing as the authority figure, it seems. So that leader that we now need or people long for doesn't exist. So it brings us back to ourselves again. Yeah. And the, this reflex to find some protective authority is so strong that a lot of people still look to him. Or failing that, look to institutional authority figures, 
mm-hmm. like, like, you know, the CDC or the WHO or just the doctors, what do the doctors say? Yeah. People are, are starting to lose their patience with that. But maybe that's just wishful thinking. If I ask you this, when you were facing challenges in your life, you know, uh, how did you deal with them in, in ter- maybe your health or whatever it may have been? And then have you seen this larger perspective that you're now trying to, to help us see? Um, is that something that, that, you know, you've tried to develop in your own life as well? I lived abroad. I lived in Taiwan for nine years of my life. I had experiences there that were categorically impossible from the perspective of the education that I had received and the acculturation that I had received from from my home culture. And so I was like, if what I have been told is true isn't true, what else have I been told is true that isn't true? So it it set me off on this uh, decades long journey that that merged with a question that I had been holding ever since I was a, a teenager, which is what's wrong in the world? What, what, what's the origin of the obvious wrongness of our society? The normal answers to that in radical political thought, like say capitalism, colonialism, white supremacy or whatever, these didn't go deep enough for me because they also took for granted those parts of reality, those inst- installations of reality that that I had personally experienced as not actually being true. Well, that okay. kind of uh, dissolving of certainty is a necessary initiation if anything is going to change in this world. And yeah. that has been happening for a lot of people over you know, a span of many decades, and maybe it's accelerating with, with coronavirus. And when re- reality dissolves, one reflex is to cling all the more tightly to it. And maybe that's one reason why, despite decades and decades of, of research and popularization of holistic health and natural health and so forth, that it's all gone. Yeah. You know, no, no one... It's just not part of the conversation, uh, at least in the mainstream media. You don't see articles about how to, from the CDC or the WHO, about how to improve your immunity. Like, it's like all, in fact, holistic health practitioners have been shut down. Yeah, so the interesting point, uh, just to clarify, that indeed uh, doctors were allowed to stay open as essential sor- services, medical doctors, and holistic health practitioners were non-essential services and had to lock, uh, lock down, which indeed proves your point completely. Where do you see, if at all, the world you want to live in? One of the ways to diagnose a civilization is to look at what it, it, um, how it devotes its surplus. Yes. Our society mostly devotes it to warfare and to mindless consumption. What would it look like if we devoted our surplus to having amazing performances and parties and festivals and and art installations? You get a little glimpse of that at, say, Burning Man, which is quite extravagant. And people criticize it for how extravagant it is. 
And you could make a similar lesser point about any music festival, mm -hmm. any big celebration. Yeah, it is extravagant, but compared to a B-1 bomber, is it extravagant compared to an aircraft carrier group? The total amount of money spent on armaments in this world is like $2 trillion. I mean, that dwarfs the amount spent on play and celebration and art. Imagine if we turned the entire military budget toward celebration and maybe, maybe half of it toward celebration and the other half toward ecological regeneration. We would live in a paradise. What is the message of this virus for you? I've heard some people say this, and it's true for me a bit too, uh, that the message is slow down. I'm curious, so if tomorrow everything is fine again, what is the one thing you want to do that you can do now? Is there one such, such thing? What's most important to me is it would be for my, what my son can do. He's, my youngest son is seven. Okay. And he's basically been living without playmates for two months. Not because we're trying to keep him safe, but because it's socially verboten. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, it's really hard to, 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 for him to have any opportunity to play with somebody. It's not just about hanging out together. It's not about consuming together. For, for sociality, most people today, they get together and consume something. You go to a restaurant, you go have drinks, you go watch a sports thing, you, you, you watch something or you eat something or you drink something. But, but to really know somebody and to relate to them on a more than superficial level, you can't just consume together. That doesn't bring out any of your true qualities. No. You have to create together. You have to strive together. You have to, to, to suffer together. You have to overcome challenges together. Mm -hmm. If you are ever on a, a sports team, or a musical band or a theater troupe or something like that, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. The bond that you have with those people is much stronger than your drinking buddies. So right now we're seeing just like the icing on the cake, mm -hmm. you know, the, the final phase of a loneliness that has much deeper roots and even goes down. I mean, we can also talk about disconnection from nature. That's another form of loneliness to feel like an alien on the, on the place where you live. We can follow a course of continued and intensified separation, um, which will or will seem to keep us safer and protect the separate self. Mm -hmm. And the other path is to drop some of those guards, uh, allow our relational selves to expand, to, to come back into multi-layered relationships with other people and with the natural world, uh, and to trust in the world. The opposite of control is trust. So to trust in the intelligence of nature and thereby in our participation in nature, um, to trust in each other rather than in a central authority that tells us what to do and what to think. Or in a drug or a vaccine. Or in a drug or a vaccine. Um, and it's not that we never use technological means. It's not that control is bad, actually. No. It's that it's become total. It's, it's, we're applying it beyond its proper bounds. So I, I do think that, that there is a place for drugs. It's much smaller than the place we've given it.
Sure. Um, and there's a place for, for herbs, for plant medicine, uh, for all kinds of other body work that are, that are, that's, and, and healing modalities that are really powerful, actually. Charles, in these days, I mean, there are fears, and I'm sure that, you know, even with your broad mind and the way you think about these things, even for you, if it's not for yourself or for your family, there are fears that come with this. And we work through those fears and dreams. What, what kind of dreams are you having? I had a dream last night of uh, a dear friend and a very, very wise person um, who's having a panic attack. Mm -hmm. And maybe, maybe the dream is telling me that, that the most useful thing I can do is to offer a, a counterpoint to the panic, to, to be peaceful, to not freak out about the virus and not freak out about the freak out. You know, not freak out about the totalitarian agenda and so forth. And keep breathing. Yeah. And because and, where does that peacefulness come from? It comes from a true recognition of, of who, who, who I am and who we are. And that the tendency of the universe is toward more life. Do we want to spend our lives trying to control our biggest fears or do we want to explore, discover and bring our world together again? That is the challenge that Charles Eisenstein presents to each of us. Remember, each crisis is also an opportunity. This was Camp Solutions. Stay well and see you next time. Camp Solutions is presented by the World Business Academy on behalf of Just Capital. The COVID-19 Corporate Response Tracker of Just Capital is tracking the best practices of corporations serving the needs of their employees and of the communities they serve in this time of national crises. See how the best of America's largest employers are treating stakeholders amid the coronavirus crisis at JustCapital.com.